to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Tim Jones, who is the Grow Good guy. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hello, or as we'd say, over the side of the ditch, kia ora. <laughs> and where in New Zealand are you chatting to us from? So I am based in Christchurch, so down south, I guess the biggest city in the South Island, or the mainland as we call it. My dad is actually from Christchurch, so I have family over there, oh, there and have visited many times. Excellent. It's nice. Yeah, beautiful part of the world. So let's start with a little bit about you and and what you're working on. If you were to meet someone at a at an event and you had 60 seconds to explain who you are and what you do, how would you do that? That's a great question. That has taken me quite a few years to try and distill this. So essentially, the tagline I'm kind of working with at the minute is, I'm in pursuit of purpose. So for me, but for people around me, and I guess ultimately everyone, to be able to find more purpose and meaning in life so that you can have a better life, you can contribute more in your life and create a better world for more people. Love it. And we're going to dig into how you came to be running this business. But before we do that, I wanted to quickly touch on a couple of themes around financial freedom, which we do in every podcast episode. And then we're going to jump back into your story. Mm -hmm. So first question is, what does financial freedom mean to you? So that's something that I dwell on quite a lot. For me, it's basically being in a position where you get to thrive. I look at sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, it's when you are at the point when you can be the best that you can be and you have no worries about your ability to survive, that is what I'm kind of aiming for in many ways. And I kind of think that's the sweet spot. And whatever that number is for you, it's going to be different. So you're the first person to tie this back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> but I love that. I actually, that really makes sense. Well, just for me, that's, and I've done a lot of research on purpose and meaning and why we do what we do and why we are as we are as humans and stuff. And, you know, really, once your basic survival needs are met financially, the rest of it is just trinketry, you know? It's nice to have. Yes, and so creating that financial freedom in line with the theme of this podcast means that if you've got that taken care of and you have your basic needs covered, then you can start to work on things that have more meaning or are bringing more purpose or happiness into your life. Exactly that. One other follow-up question, is there any particular resource, advice that you've received, book, anything like that that has helped you either on your path to financial freedom or has helped you develop your skills around this? I mean, probably the best sort of piece of advice that I was probably given was get rid of debt as quickly as you can. I know some people, I mean, the New Zealand interest rate, and I guess globally, interest rates are generally pretty low. So some people would make the argument like money's cheap, now's the time to go and, you know, borrow money. But for me, I just kind of feel like if you can owe nothing to anyone, that's a big step to freedom because you're literally not indebted to any other person or organization. So I guess my wife and I are running that as our end game is like the only significant debt we have is a mortgage. And we're working hard to get rid of that as quick as we can. Because in, in my mind, once you've got rid of that, you're free. You can do more of what you want to do. Yep. Love it. So let's go back to your story. And when did you get into running your business in its current form? And how did you get into it? 
I had um, what I guess you could describe as like a hard exit mentally from the corporate world. The majority of my career I spent in medical device sales. So if you imagine in a hospital, any product or any, any item within a hospital that is used by a nurse, a doctor, a surgeon, and is maybe even potentially implanted into a human being, there are multiple companies uh, selling those products into that hospital. So that was my job. I specialized initially in selling hips and knees, so the actual hip and knee joint, um, and then moved on to selling spinal instruments and implants to orthopedic and neurosurgeons around New Zealand. And it was a really cool job. Like part of your job is to go into the operating theater and, and support the surgeries and make sure that you know, the surgical team and the patient get the best outcome that they can with your product. So really, you know, deep sense of meaning and connection to making someone's life better. But over the 10 years of my career, I started to understand the economics of healthcare and how it seemed to be increasingly that maximizing profit was the main driver over patient outcome. And that just didn't sit, sit well with me. And the best way to encapsulate this idea in a short podcast like this is to send people to go and watch The Bleeding Edge on Netflix. It's still on there. It's a documentary all about the medical device industry and how it how this, that there is this murky an ethical underworld where it's all about basically making instead of focusing on patient outcomes and so all of that kind of came to a head for me really crystallized post earthquakes here in Christchurch so I don't know whether it's made as much news in Australia as it obviously did over here but in 2010-2011 we had a sequence of pretty significant earthquakes here and so that kind of near-death experience that we all went through I think led to a lot of people in Christchurch reassessing what they were doing and where they were going and then in 2013, my wife and I had our daughter. And that's, again, is another mechanism, like the birth of a child or, or a significant death in the family, so parent or, or sibling or, or someone really close to you. So near-death experience plus significant life event like that can create what's called a subconscious awakening. And that's really what I had. I just, it all just came into clarity, like, what am I doing? Why am I working for these big companies that kind of say they care about fixing people, but actually all they care about is making money? And there's some bad stuff going on, and I don't want to be a part of that because now I kind of understand who I am and who I could be in a, in a lot deeper way. So that kind of led me on a, on a bit of a journey to go and work out, well, you know, is this just me? Am I, have I turned into a bit of a crazy weirdo, or have I seen some, something here that needs to be changed? And that ultimately led me on a, a long journey, and it's a journey that's still going on. But through that, I discovered B corporations or benefit corporations. B corporations are, I guess, for-profit businesses that aim to balance purpose with profit. So maximizing the positive social and environmental impact that they're making while still making money. So when I stumbled across this idea, I was like, okay, this is it. And other people have kind of seen that perhaps our um, insatiable desire for profit at all costs is creating some challenges on the side. And so that was like really reaffirming and, you know, kind of found my tribe. And um, I thought, oh, well, there can't be one of these in New Zealand. So I Googled it. And I was like, damn it, there's two of them in New Zealand. Oh, there can't be one in Christchurch. Damn it, there's one in Christchurch. Because <laughs> I was like, man, it'd be so cool to be the first one of these in New Zealand. And then, uh, so I connected with a company that was based in Christchurch, a, a B Corp called Eagle Protect. And I went and, and booked a sort of 45-minute meeting with their CEO, Steve Arder, um, who is an amazing human. And I left his office about three hours later with my mind just completely blown that there is this whole new way of business and commerce and how it can be done in a, in a way that is beneficial for everyone. And that's, I guess that's one of the, what the B stands for in B Corporation is benefit corporation. So have a company that creates wider benefits than just 
primarily as we have done for the shareholders or for the one or two or small group of people that own the business. What are some of the elements of a B Corp? So I, I know a little bit about this, something that we're interested in in Bean Ninjas, and it's actually on a, a project list for Excellent. to address it, something that we would love to become. And so yeah. I've looked at some of the criteria myself. It looks like there's quite a process that you go through and looks at there's not just one element. It's quite a holistic Correct. view of a business. And I was wondering if you could yep. talk to some of the or some examples of what a business might need to implement in order to... Totally. It is a really rigorous assessment, and that's a good thing. In New Zealand, there are other certification systems where you pay your money and you remember. You don't actually have to be doing anything. You don't have to change any of, you, of your cultural behaviour or, or activities. So that's, that's what I really like about it. B Corp assesses or the, the certification assesses your business across five pillars. So it's your governance, which is essentially who owns your business and how transparent is the business. So for example, you would get more points if your business was a worker-owned cooperative and you would get less points if your business is owned by one person. You would get more points if you had a board of directors that was elected by the employees. You get zero points if you have no board or no advisory board. So I guess, sorry, there's governance, there's workers, so how you treat your staff. We're pretty lucky in Australia and New Zealand that we get a lot of points in that kind of bracket for because it's government, you know, state mandated. So, you know, things like parental leave or sick leave, you know, it's obviously state mandated or government mandated in New Zealand and Australia, whereas in other countries like the US, you're not necessarily guaranteed those things. So the workers column is looking at how you treat your staff and what benefits they're given and, and so on and so forth. And then there's your social impact. So how do you interact with the community in which your business is situated? Are you aware of your impact on the community? Are you seeking to provide opportunities to your local community? Do you buy you know, in your supply chain? Are you supporting local smaller businesses where you can? Things like that. Then there's your environmental footprint, which is primarily your water usage and your carbon footprint. And then finally, there's your business stroke customer model. So how is it you're delivering your business and for, for which sort of beneficiaries? So if you're Again, like if you're an organization who's, say, working to provide opportunities to a disadvantaged community, you'd get a lot of points in that customer model sector. And overall, this you're basically assessed on uh, and you, get po- you, you score points for how you answer each question. And the aim is you need to get 80 out of 200 points on their assessment tool. If you get over 80, then you can click the button and say, I'd like to go through the process to be audited. And then once you pass that, if you're still at 80 points, you sort of pay your certification fee and you're in. One thing I would totally advise anyone listening to this is to go and take the impact assessment is free. So you can go and take the assessment and look at your business across these five pillars and and consider your business through a whole lot of lenses that you may well not have considered them through. And that's completely free. It's only if you actually want to get audited and certified that you need to pay your money. So I think that's a really nice explanation of what a B Corp is and some of the criteria. So we go back to your story. So you went and met with the CEO of the one and only, or one at that point, B Corp in Christchurch and came out mind blown, feeling expired. And so what happened next? Initially, you know, I was still, so I'd exited the world of medical and I I basically went on a bit of a mission to go and find work you know pretty much in any other industry just just to see what was going on in the world i guess and i ended up falling into working for a firm of surveyors and engineers in the world of sort of, i guess professional services in the built or the building industry and 
you know, I took this enthusiasm and I said to the director I was reporting to, like, hey, this is a really amazing thing. I think this could be really cool for the business. You know, there's nothing, there's only two in New Zealand. This is groundbreaking stuff. This will be amazing for our culture and our direction. And it's a real point of difference. And the board were just kind of like, no, we're not interested. So that was a bit deflating. And then within me, I kind of always, when I was doing the medical sales, they spend a lot of money for a lot of resources into you in terms of training, particularly around sales training. And I guess as part of my journey, I'd always wondered if I'd be any good at training and coaching. And so I was a bit disillusioned that the, this uh, professional services firm wasn't you know, really aligned with how I was now thinking. And I kind of thought, well, look, this is just going to be a continuation of this lack of values alignment that I was feeling in the medical world. And I thought, okay, well, the next best step for me is going to be to try this coaching and training stuff. So I actually managed to, uh, I guess, network my way into an opportunity to do training and coaching, sales training and coaching for a, a New Zealand-based company. And they were uh, sort of a small family-owned business, really small team. And, and again, I sort of posited B Corp and said, look, I think you guys would be a sitter for this because you're doing a whole lot of good. You give back to the community. You're really great to the staff. But I guess small family business, it just it can be quite um, time and labor intensive to do the assessment. And I think they just weren't in the headspace at the time to really do it. And so this was 2015. Yeah, it would have been 2015. And I just kind of thought, you know what? I love this idea of B Corp. I'm telling everyone else they should go and do it, but I'm not doing it. And so late 2015, an opportunity arose where actually a few of us got made redundant from the trading company. And I just thought, I think at the time I was maybe 38 or maybe a bit less. And I just thought, if I don't give my own business a go now, I'll never do it because it's just not going to happen. And so that was how I initially started out, just offering sales training and coaching support for other B Corps and businesses for good. Because my theory was, you know, what's my contribution? You know, if I can, if I can take all the skills and everything I've been taught and everything I've picked up in a 12, 13-year career of sales and marketing, if I could take those skills and give them to the businesses that are trying to change the world, that seemed to be a pretty good place to start. And so that's where I started. <laughs> Wonderful. And so because there were only a couple of people in New Zealand at the time, was it a challenge to find those first few customers? Or as time went on, there was more and more of these businesses that you were able to help? Yeah, I mean, for sure, initially, you know, there wasn't that many, that is for sure. And you know, to a degree, I mean, my first few clients, they weren't really that purpose-driven. But at the time, it's like, I guess I had to compromise to a degree just to survive. I tick all the boxes for idiocy, really. You know, my, <laughs> my wife and I had just had our daughter. So my wife wasn't working. Um, we just bought a house. We just got a mortgage. And I go, hey, let's, why don't I start a business in, you know, in, in an industry I've had a year's experience in, fundamentally, in a market that's non-existent. Uh, just <laughs> yeah don't don't do that kids <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like it's worked out well so and you mentioned in the beginning sometimes you didn't you needed to work with businesses that weren't always purpose driven yep. and what are things like now have you felt that that market has expanded it, it definitely feels like there's a growing yeah, trend yeah. towards people wanting to run or work for purpose-driven businesses totally I still do a good amount of work with, I mean, I'm definitely much more selective now. I, I know my business is well, we're four years down the line. So I've obviously got a bit more, you know, I, I have more profile. I have people kind of know me a bit more. Than, I mean, that was the other thing when you're going out on your own. Hi, I'm me. You don't know me. Um, I think I'm pretty good at training. 
would you like to pay me some money to come and trade your team? You know, it's, it was, uh, there was so much going on, you know, the imposter syndrome of starting your own business. Oh, people won't pay me money. I don't know anything. They'll know this already. You know, there's all that kind of stuff. I probably still spend a, uh, the larger amount of my time working now with businesses for good and helping them with their skill development. But there is a growing interest in the purpose side of things. I kind of thought where we are now was going to be this time last year, but I guess I've just been ahead of this curve the whole way. But I mean, just last night, I was in Palmerston North, just having a talk there at the Chamber of Commerce in conjunction with another B Corps that's based just outside Palmerston North. So Palmerston North, like the lower North Island of New Zealand. You know, a year ago, that wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have rung me and said, hey, could you come and do this? So the conversation's getting there, but I think we're still... I guess it's a bit like, you know, the Second World War. It's that phony war. It's like, it's not really kind of happening, but there's people are maneuvering and there's some kind of intent. That being said, I did hear from a mate of mine on the weekend who has, he's just left a very large New Zealand company, one of the biggest, and they have just put their certification through. So there or thereabouts, but it's not the, the main dominant framework yet but it's coming and i think the thing people got to, have got to realize i'm going to totally pilfer this phrase from a, a good friend of mine michael philpot as he says you know this stuff you're either going to get there by conscience or by consequence so you're either <laughs> going to do this because it's the right thing to do or you're going to have to do it because all your other competitors have done it and do you want to be the first person that does it and take the kudos and know that you did the right thing or do you want to be the last people who have to do it <laughs> <laughs> that's a great way of putting it so I'm interested in your thoughts on growing a business. A lot of our audience are either early stage in growing their own businesses or they're wanting to take that leap and start a business. And you talked about that example of a year or two ago, you might not have been invited to speak at that event, but you'd been working on growing your profile. So what were some of the things that worked for you when you were building your network and your profile related to helping you grow your business? Totally. Um, I am a big believer and user of LinkedIn. I think that's such a powerful tool to be able to share messages and consolidate your thinking and reach out to people who share your thinking and connect with people and sort of test your ideas. As, and by doing that, you can kind of build your profile and, and build awareness for who you are. I kind of feel like in the world that I'm in, sort of training, coaching, consulting, in many ways, a lot of that Profile building just comes from doing what you do. And the more you do what you do, the better you get at doing it. And the more people go, oh, I've heard of you. You know, we want to have a conversation. I guess I still primarily rely. I mean, my background's in sales. So I, I kind of use the sales hammer the most. You know, so I, I have no fear in just cold calling a company and saying, hey, I love what you're doing. I specialize in helping, you know, train companies like yours. Could I have a conversation? So I, I kind of rely on that rather than, you know, the marketing hammer of too much on that side. But I have reflected on this a few times. It's like, you know, I've done some work with some pretty large companies in New Zealand. Some, you know, NZ, you know I could say large NZX50, you know, they're compared to the ASX or the NASDAQ, you know, they're, they're still relatively small. But in, in the context of who I could work with here, I've done some work with some pretty big companies. I look back and go, well, four years ago, could I have done what I've done for them today four years ago? And I don't think I could have. I think there is an element of you have to do, you have to um, sharpen the sword. You know, you have to go through the process of developing and honing your content mm. before you get to a level where actually it's respectable enough that you can offer to a client that's deserving of it. Not that I'm saying my early, early day clients weren't deserving, but I look back at the content and the style of what I was delivering four years ago and I literally go, I can't believe people paid me money to look at that. It's awful. 
<laughs> it's funny you say that. That relates to something that I've been working on. So I recently launched the second version of the financial literacy training course for Be Ninjas. And I've been working on it for a year and a half. And so looking at the way that I taught some of that content back then compared to now and how I've I've thought, oh, even with feedback, you learn, well, actually there's a better exactly. way of explaining that concept. And actually section B should be going before section A to make it all make sense. Exactly yeah. that. I think one of the other big things for me was this is like a two-edged sword. Sometimes you just think everyone knows what you know because it's in your head and you are kind of like, you know, I think someone said to, to be an expert on a topic, you need to read 10 books on it. So if you love the thing that you're, you know, promoting and all about, if you've read 10 books on it, you're probably in the top 1% of experts globally on that topic. But because you're in that bubble, you kind of go, well, Meryl must know all this stuff because I know this stuff. So you kind of maybe don't push message or the idea that you have because you think well no one wants this because they all know this stuff but then the other side of that is you get so far down the rabbit hole of knowledge on that topic that you forget what people do and don't know you start maybe delivering content at such a high level that people just go i have no idea what you're on about because you kind of then presume that everyone does know at that level if that makes sense it does because you've had some of that knowledge in your own head for so long exactly make that assumption that that everyone else has that yep so we're coming to the end of the podcast. So two final questions for you. One is whether there's anything else that you wanted to add or expand on from what we've talked about. And then the second question is that I know that you have an ebook that our listeners might be interested in. And I was wondering if you could describe more about what it's about and also where to find it. Totally. I'll probably do the second question first, if that's all right. I guess this is a prime example of me maybe thinking that people know why they should convert their business to being more purpose-driven. But it's not a necessarily obvious thinking point or idea. And so I sort of sat down over probably three or four evenings. I thought, I actually just need, if I write this down and make a little ebook, that might be useful. So I wrote I've written an ebook called The Why and the How of Business for Good. So I guess the beginning part is all the evidence for business for good or purpose-driven business. And there is literally no counter evidence to say that you shouldn't do this. All the statistics on employee engagement, productivity, profitability, you know, it just being the right thing to do morally, spiritually, like it just makes, it'll make you a better human in a better business. There's no reason not to do it. And then the second part of it is really just some beginning thoughts about how can, how can you start connecting to understanding where the good is in your business already? Because every business is doing some good in general. And it's just a matter of trying to find those little nuggets. So yeah, that's, you can um, get a hold of that through my website. And I'm sure we can put a link in the in the podcast. In terms of anything else to cover, I mean, the whole purpose and meaning stuff is it's a tricky subject, and I think a lot of people don't want to go there because it maybe is a bit confronting. But the more and more research I do, and this is starting to pull together ideas and philosophies that have been around for thousands of years. If you don't go and confront the stuff you don't want to confront you're ultimately not going to have the best business and be the best human that you can be and if you're going to be in business for yourself why not be the best person in the best organization that you can be because that kind of makes life meaningful (laughs) you've articulated that really nicely well tim thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been really great chatting with you thanks for having me and next time you're over in new zealand skiing let me know Want to upgrade your financial skills and learn how to use Zero better? Here's what Stevie, one of our past students, shared about her experience 
with our Financial Literacy for Zero Users course. I just wanted a simple way to understand it for peace of mind. I wanted to make sure that everything would be really kind of plain English, easy for me to understand, and that if I had questions specific to my own personal circumstances, that I could have those answered as well, because that's where I was feeling really lost. I basically went from having no idea about how zero worked or how to read a profit and loss statement or what a general ledger was to feeling like I was comfortable with all of those things. And I really kind of got to the point where I understood the financial health of my business. So if you're someone who gets overwhelmed with the idea of going into your zero farm and not knowing what's going on money-wise with your business, or you just want a simple way to understand zero and want peace of mind with your finances, our course might be the solution. Applications are now open for our financial literacy for zero users training course designed for non-accountants who want to better understand and manage small business finances. Head over to beanninjas.com forward slash course to learn more about our financial literacy course and to apply.